the whole world is Kim Simcha. The whole world has people dealing with adversity and struggles. And how I look at them has to be the same way a Kim Simcha counselor looks at a Kim Simcha camper. I think there's a lot to learn from it in business, in shul, in school, in the high life office, wherever you want to take it. I think there's a lot of lessons. They're saying, I'm here to give, I'm here to be who my most inner self is, and that's to be doing whatever needs to get done. And you will see staff members doing things that they never even dreamed that they would. Like Ari was saying earlier, there's no entitlement. I think that it goes to the complete opposite end of I want to do, I want to give, and it changes everyone as soon as they start there. Welcome to On Air with Chai, a podcast that inspires, brings hope, shows resilience, and strength. Today's conversation is a very happy one. How is that possible when all we talk about is sickness, you may ask? Well, on today's episode, we are joined by two very special High Lifeline employees, Ari Dembitzer and Rifki Schwartz. They're the directors of the happiest place on earth. And no, it is not Disneyland. In fact, it's Camp Simcha. High Lifeline's very own camp. Listen and learn as to why Camp Simcha is the happiest place on earth and also called the heartbeat of High Lifeline. Enjoy. Everybody, and welcome to another episode of On Air with High. You know me, Brian Strasberg, and co hosted with the man, the legend, the myth. Not so much a myth, but you know. <laughs> Morty Rothman, Executive Director of High Lifeline Canada. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Today we have two very special guests. We have Ari Dimbitzer, are you a rabbi by chance? Somewhat? Yes, he is a rabbi. He's, He's a, a rabbi, rabbi of a shul in Omaha. Well, well, I guess we'll talk about that then. As well as Rifki Schwartz Zuckerman. These two amazing people are in charge of, I guess, the first asset or aspect of High Lifeline in general, Camp Simcha. Well, the, the way I often describe it is, um, High Lifeline has a flagship program at Camp Simcha and Camp Simcha Special, and the energy and the over-the-top atmosphere that exists in camp uh, is something that permeates all of High Lifeline's programming. So, to the heartbeat, heartbeat. Camp Simcha is the heartbeat of High yeah, Lifeline. Yeah, absolutely, heartbeat. It, it heartbeat. is the. It is kind of where we all take our. Are you know when, when I want to when I want to create a program I'm like what would they do in Camp Simcha to make this just over the top That's what I ask. So uh, you know Rifki and Ari are the uh, the the magicians the 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 magic makers. The you know we have rainmakers that are magic makers. They make the dreams come true at Camp Simcha, which is the happiest place on earth. I don't care what Disney has to say because um, I I go to both every year and. Um, Seriously, it's just incredible. So I'm so excited to have you both on today. Um, and just, just uh, we want to. There's, there's so much to talk about. Let's, let's get right into it. And, Absolutely. Um, so I guess I'll ask you both. Um, could you, could you kind of tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you started, um, and then how you got involved with Camp Simcha? I mean, and, and um, we can start with you, Rifki, because ladies always first. Um, so first, just going back for a second, so interesting. Um, I get that comment from staff members all the time, but I get it from campers all the time. Just this year, I got one of the campers walked over to me mid-camp, Rifki Disney lied, Camp Simcha is the best place on this earth, you know, and it just is the most magical, most incredible. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and so I'm a Midwest girl, and I went to typical regular camps my whole life and our director then was from Detroit, Michigan and his wife was talking about Camp Simcha and I was a little bit nervous and does it make sense for me to go and one thing led to another and I finally said to her, you know what, I'm going to try it, I'm going to come and I came to Camp Simcha as a counselor. Um, I got there the first two days, the first three days, didn't know that many people, first time that I was going to a New York camp and I had a camper who was from Israel, actually a seven-year-old girl. And I the second those buses rolled into Camp Simcha, I was sold. I, my heart was just there. And, and Ari before talked about Camp Simcha being the heartbeat of my lifeline. Somehow, as soon as those buses rolled in, your heartbeat 
just starts all over again. And it's, it's an incredible thing. It's an amazing place to be. But the second those campers and those gates open, those campers come in, you connect in a way that's almost indescribable. Maybe we will try to describe it over time. But that's how I got started. I was a counselor for two years. I was division head for two years. I was assistant head counselor. And then I've been head counselor, thank God, for a few years now. <laughs> Quite a few years. So that's incredible. And we just had, uh, actually, uh, the other day, we did a, uh, a podcast with uh, Maya Sinclair and her mom, Jana Popliger. And they were just describing like how the trepidation that they had when they were coming into camp and then they get to camp and that like kids just pulled Maya out of her, out of her car (laughs) seat and made her, made them feel so comfortable. And she says, you know, excuse me, she asked me if I was ever at camp for, for arrival. And I've never actually been, I always see the videos. I've never been for arrivals. And she's like, Morty, if there's ever a time to get to camp, you have to be there for arrivals. It is the most incredible experience ever. And, um, that's, uh, anyway, that, that's something that, that, that you were sold. And I think probably a lot of campers and parents are sold on as well. So you see a lot of happiness mm-hmm. that day and you see a lot of emotional and joy filled tears of parents seeing their children entering a place that they could be kids again. Yeah. Um, uh, so Ariel, I'll put the question to you now. Where, what's your, what's your story? How did you, how, where are you from? What did you, where, how'd you get involved with Camp Simcha? And- I actually Rabbi Scholar, I met Rabbi Scholar in Israel and he says, you're coming to Camp Simcha in New York. At that point, I even wasn't on my radar. Where were I you in Israel? Out. You were in Yeshiva in Israel? I actually was, <laughs> um, but I, I met him at this, the Israeli program of Camp Simcha, which was all Israelis and me. That was fun. Story for another time. Um, and then I came to Kim Simcha in New York, and I, it seems like 95 years ago. It might have been 95 years ago, but I've, you know, I've, I feel like I've grown up there in a lot of different ways. Um, I was a counselor, a volunteer, and uh, here I am now doing this for a long time. And I think I'm still relevant. I think people still like me there, so I think I'm doing a decent <laughs> job. Um, you know, it, it amazes me on, on, on two accounts when I meet counselors who are, you know, 10, 15 years out of being counselors and they still talk about both of you like with such reverence and, and feel so close to you, well, to both of you. I see it on, both from the girls and the boys and it's just an incredible thing. You know, I, I mean, you, you ask, I'll give you one word. I mean, the, the description that people always say about Kim Silva is like this utopian society where there's a certain feeling today, whether right or wrong, and obviously our generation is incredible, but there's a little bit of a sense of entitlement of, you know, younger people. And all of a sudden you come to a camp like Camp Simple where there's no room for entitlement. So people just change and they become, for the most part, the best version of themselves. And therefore they attributed a lot to the leadership of Camp Simple. So, I'm not saying that we shouldn't deserve the credit, <laughs> but there is an, there is this sense of everyone is so happy there because they become the best version of themselves. There's no room for entitlement, usually. Is there? There's no room for entitlement because you're dealing with these these children who are going yeah, through I mean, so much. And- you have to give. You have to give, and obviously, you know, we train them somewhat to to have a that kind of mindset and to have a giving heart, um, but. If, this is where the train is headed. So, like, if you're getting on this train, if you're here, this is a you know, this is a giving, giving place where yeah, you don't want this or you don't like this. That's that doesn't happen. That's not how you're going to make it in Kim Simcha. So, all of a sudden, people co- become the best version of themselves, and they attribute a lot to Rifki and myself. I don't know if it's specifically us. No offense, Rifki, but I think it's the it's the environment of camp that um, we happen to represent. And therefore, when they see us, they like themselves more. There's, there's so much to learn from that. Like what you just said, I don't know if you, if you take a step back, is, is like the environment that you create really can create a, a place where people can be the best version of themselves. And I think for people out there running a business or, any, or, or, or really anybody uh, in your own 
household, the environment that you're going to create in that household will bring out certain parts of people's personality. And I think that that's very, uh, that's, that's so important to, to, to see. Um, it's also very humbling. I mean, in that manner, because you're being introduced into an environment with kids who they're sick, they're either sick or they're siblings. So it's for the person coming in who's healthy and they understand that they're surrounded by a bunch of people who are a lot less fortunate health-wise than them, it brings a whole different perspective and attitude to everything that they're doing. And that's necessary. And, you know, perhaps <laughs> the lesson is that I think every, you know, in almost every situation, there's people are going through what they're going through. And it's maybe, it might, obviously it's not to the same level as right. a child with cancer, but everybody's going through things. And if we all, I, I, often, I, you hit a, you hit a very big, important, strong point. I think at Kim Simcha is not, the whole world isn't Kim Simcha. And I think Kim Simcha, it's more obvious that there's people in pain and therefore I have to be more of a forgiving, giving person if I'm surrounded by people who are in pain. Um, but I think your point is incredible. The whole world is Kim Simcha. The whole world has people dealing with adversity and struggles. And how I look at them has to be the same way a Kim Simcha counselor looks at a Kim Simcha camper. I think there's a lot to learn from it in business, in shul, in school, in the high life line office, wherever <laughs> you want to take it. I think there's a lot Not of- Not in the high life line office. We're good in high life line. You're all kidding, but uh, yes. Rifki, would you agree with that? Would you? Would you? Uh, so much so. I, I've seen so many girls come in and they tell me that they've, Camp Simcha has changed their life. And if you ask them to try to describe how and when and where, there are so many of them that say just from even day one, coming in orientation, learning different sensitivities. I'm not just learning a sensitivity only to the Camp Simcha camper, but I'm learning a sensitivity to everyone else around me, to the person who's sitting next to me, because you never know who that person is, what they went through, what they've been through. And so many, interestingly, and we'll probably get to it at one point or another, so many of our siblings or former campers may come back as staff. So one of the things that we'll talk about even in orientation is the girl sitting next to you may have been a camper. The girl to your, you know, and, and all of a sudden your sensitivities are heightened. And all of a sudden you're like Ari saying, becoming the best version of yourself. You're changing into the best person that you can be in this world. And then, and we're continuously growing and changing, but it's really an environment where they want to be giving all that they can and you see it to every camper but you also see it when they're bending down and picking up the smallest piece of garbage because they're taking responsibility for everything that's going on around them they're saying i'm here to give i'm here to be who my most inner self is and that's to be doing whatever needs to get done and you will see staff members doing things that they never even dreamed that they would like Ari was saying earlier, there's no entitlement. I think that it goes to the complete opposite end of I want to do, I want to give, and it changes everyone as soon as they start there. It's so uh, it's so incredible to think also, like I, I know what it is to recruit volunteers because we're doing that here in Toronto all the time in Montreal and um, getting young people these days to, to really do things and commit um, is a challenge. They've, they're over-programmed. They got their phones pulling them in a million directions. Um, Camp Simcha is a force to be reckoned with. When you think about the amount of applications that we get as an organization to have young people work for two weeks in the middle of the summer, they might got, they might get two weeks, they might get a month, who knows? Um, and the, the hype surrounding that, and they, you know, it's, it's like, not only are you not paying people, but people would probably pay you for the experience. Like, it's like they, they're, they're lining up. And I think it's a, a incredible, uh, an incredible thing to say about our community that, that, that they want to do this, but there's something that's bringing them there. There's something that's exciting them. And it's not just getting something on their shidduch resume or not getting in, you know, something for their medical school, uh, you know, to get into med school. Um, and that's a hype that the two of you, I think, really bring to the table. Um, can, you, can you share a little bit about that or those, th that concept that you try to create 
this uh, maybe it's something that just happens on its own. I, I don't know, but is that something that that you would feel um, that you too would bring to the table in 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 this situation? That the the amount of counselors that want to be involved in camp is just it's it's on it's unparalleled. Probably for me, and I think I could say the same thing for Ari. Also, one of the main points that I know that I work on in camp constantly is showing gratefulness, is showing Hakara Satov, is being thankful for every single one of the people that are there. When they come to Camp Simcha, that hype of being there, like you're saying, there's an elitist feeling of being there. I get to be here with these incredible souls that are going to be stepping foot into Camp Simcha, that are going to be here to change my life, that I've heard so much about, that I've seen my friends who have evolved into a better person, etc. Um, I think for me, I see a lot of that goes to the gratefulness that we have. We have a whole head staff who are constantly walking over and complimenting and telling the staff what's going on that's right, what's going to be um, happening in the next few days and where they can be helping out and how that is actually helpful to the program and how they are actually going to be changing and bettering the entire camp Simcha and then in in I guess in essence changing the lives of these children and at home so many of their families. Um, I think that the excitement is something that's tangible in Camp Simcha. What do we do to put it there? There's a lot that goes into the programming, the decorating, the um, the little details of what we're going to be doing for every camper. I think sometimes going back to that hakara and going back to that gratefulness is in those small things, is walking over. You're talking about a relationship with staff members years later. I was in Israel last week and I get stopped every probably every hour when I'm in a public place, at least. And staff members that are there, girls who haven't, and one of the things that I tell them all the time, and I just got that this week, probably about six, seven, eight times back to me, is I tell them, you're going to make your closest friends here in Camp Simcha. They're going to be friends of yours for life. And I get stopped on the streets being told this by people years later. Literally, last week in Israel, girls who are there, married for a few years, married for many years, learning in Israel, um, working there, whatever they might be doing. And they say to me, my closest friends really, truly are from Camp Simcha. And I think there's a part of that, that when you're giving and when you're working, you connect in an eternal way. Like mm -hmm. it's just going to be a forever bond. And that bond is stronger than anything else that you had before. And I think through that, that bond, there's excitement and there's hype and there's fun and it's so but it's so interesting to me that it's about gratefulness because <laughs> it's like it's all about being appreciative and and in the details that's what i'm hearing the gratefulness and the details but there's so many questions that i could ask you now you know from how do you manage to maintain those relationships and actually have real relationships like it's not this like surface fake relationship because I, I i know that those, those they're real relationships because I, I i talk to people they tell me how they feel um and you know it's it's interesting you talk about gratefulness one thing that um i think i've done and a lot of uh, <laughs> i i took a piece of paper and i wrote down the 25 people in my life that i come into contact most common like the most often um and i write it down and i actually put this in my calendar and every three days i look at that list and i think did any of these 25 people do something for me that I did not say thank you for, or did I not show appreciation for? And, and I won't even like, I won't, I, I won't like call them. I won't take a lot. I'll just send them a WhatsApp. Like, Hey, just want to say thanks for, you know, that thing you dropped off the other day or thanks for this. And it, it, it's taken my, the, like the people in my life are just, it, I thought I was showing gratitude for myself, but they, they just, they, they do more. They want to do more. It's, it's the craziest thing, right? It's the craziest thing. It's, it's really, it brings closer. so, so I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to ask um, Ari and maybe it, just cause we want to hear, hear from both of you equally. Um, Ari, how is it that you maintain these real relationships with 
so many people. I mean, you're, we're talking, we've been talking about counselors, but I know campers that still feel close to you. Um, and these are grown men with families. Um, first of all, I, I think overall it's true. I'm sure there's some people that don't feel that way, but we'll just say that most people do feel that way. And for those who are watching this, don't feel the way, I apologize. But um, I don't think it has to do with quantity. I think it has to do with quality. And I think, you know, the what's cool about Kim Simcha is that it's not a fad, meaning it's not cool. I mean, it is, but it's like eternally cool. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of successes of organizations, of movements, whatever you want to call them, you know, they come and go. There's like a hot period and then it becomes not hot. And I feel like what's cool about Kim Simcha, again, not the temporary cool way, but like the real cool, is that it's always, it's, it's always been like this, at least for the last recent history, and I say 20 years, it's been popular and people want it. And again, I think it's, um, it's because it's the best version of themselves. And I think also I attribute a lot to the leadership and the leadership is passionate. And when you're all in and you just believe in the cause and you believe in the people and you believe in the mission, really close to 100%, that affects everybody around you because not everybody else has that conviction. But when you're leading and you have that conviction, that conviction really, and that passion rubs off on other people as well. So that was really addressing your first question. So true, so true passion really uh, helps you build those relationships because you truly have a passion for helping these kids. So then, and that rubs off on, on, yeah, on your staff. You're not doing it because if it's a job. You're not doing it because you want to check a box. You're doing it because you believe in it. And if you believe in it, then why would I like take it easy? <laughs> why would I take it easy if there's somebody that I can actually like affect in a positive way? I think it's a, it's an incredible, these are two incredible concepts. I think that yeah, I don't think it's limited learn. to children. I think it's very much to the volunteers, the counselors that come. I think Rifki and myself, we feel an obligation, not a negative obligation, like a positive obligation that this is an, an, an encounter that a person may only have for two weeks or four weeks. And let's change their future because that's the role that we are in and we can change their future, which changes the world. So I think it's a tremendous responsibility. I will tell you in a negative way, when I'm tired in the summer, I feel so guilty being tired because I feel like everybody else is now tired. And whether it's true or not, you know, I, my negative, you know, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm not feeling, I feel like affects everyone around me. And I think there's truth to that. I'm sure, a little bit is not true, but that's a big responsibility. and It's a lot of pressure. But then again, when you love what you do because you believe in what you do, then you push forward. So how do you keep that going? So you're mentioning you, in the summertime, you're running this camp. You guys are probably getting exhausted with the energy constantly flowing. How do you keep that energy going? How do you keep everyone's smiles on their faces? From the minute they get off the bus, all the excitement and the joy. I haven't personally been to the camp. I haven't seen it, but I've seen the videos. I've seen the pictures. Oh, you're coming this summer. <laughs> I hope so. So, I mean, it, it's seeing all that happening how does that carry through? How are you maintaining everything at throughout the summertime? Where does that endurance come from yeah. to keep the positivity? I mean, and I would, I would put it even further. I would push it a little harder because you're dealing often with such sad situations, such sad cases. Especially with the camps that are special. I mean, it's got to be even harder with them. Yet you're able to create this positive environment where you're dealing with, with literally some of the worst things imaginable. Pain and joy are not contradictions. I mean, that's, uh, I think everyone will recognize that. You can also be incredibly giving from a place of pain. And sometimes it gives a lot of motive to give when somebody or yourself are in a place of pain as well. I mean, that's really, if you want to talk Torah, could be a nice drasha for this Shabbos. But the, the, it's, um, the, the pain and the reality of dealing with vulnerable kids who, you know, either are currently going through something painful, may go through something painful, have gone through something painful, actually is a motivation for more love and more passion and more and more energy. Um, I don't know that we always maintain the same level of energy. I think that if it's coming from a real place, if it's coming from a true place, if it's coming from 
a, a place of ideal. Again, I think if the motive of why we do what we do is not based on a paycheck and is not based on recognition, not based on honor, external honor, external recognition, if that's what the motive, if what we, the motive, what we do is essentially because I'm doing something really good, that's the motive itself. And that goodness never goes away. All the other stuff is fleeting. So again, okay, but it is, you, you would agree that it is a challenging thing. I would think that, you know, so, so to overcome that on a mental level is, has got to be something difficult and to maintain that in a bunch of young people over a month, I could I imagine is, is a challenging thing. I think where they, I think that, go ahead, Ari. I, my, my answer to that last question is that I think when we are able to be plugged in, it affects everybody around us. Go ahead, Rifki, sorry. I think that our structure also is a tremendous support to exactly what you're describing. The way that the camp is structured, the way that we have the support staff around every single one of our staff members, that everybody feels that they're not alone, that I'm part of something greater, that I'm part of something bigger, that if I need to lean on the next person, and I think it's such a lesson for life, for you know, for anyone, if you are able to set up for yourself that structure and that that bond with other people around you, that you're a part of something greater and you're not just alone in anything, I think that that's probably what maintains so much, in, you know, in addition to what Ari said and what you said, but what maintains this excitement and this fun and this energy that just continues on and that if you would come back there the next day with all those people, it would continue on for another month. Like right. at the end of it, you anyone if they would stay on for another month, could we do this again? And everyone's answer would be yes. You know, let's do it. I'm in. And I, I do think that so much of the structure of who we set up, we have our counselors, we have our specialty staff, we have our waitresses, waiters, we have our lifeguards, we have those that are then coming in to be rotating counselors, and they're going to be taking over to give that counselor time to rejuvenate, to give that time, and we tell the counselors during that time, go off, do what's best for you, take care of yourself. If it means you going off into the forest and writing a letter you know, then go do it. If it means taking a walk, if it means going to sleep, whatever it is that you're going to need to get yourself that energy, go and get it for yourself. And I think, you know, it's funny, Ari talked about being tired before. One thing that Ari Dembitzer always says is sleep is for the next world. <laughs> and you know, just- I don't say it anymore, no, Rifki. I don't say it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How many kids do you have now? <laughs> but um, I know that I, every single morning by the- the bracha hanusin laya if koach, like God gives you the strength, and and Hashem really gives that strength, and maybe it's by the leadership that we're surrounded by. We have a great, like Ari said before, a great head staff. That you know, if it's a day that is a little bit quieter, or whatever, then we we pull in the right people to to bring up that energy, and you have every year those key people, those key boys, girls, men, women, that will always help to maintain and bring up that energy, no matter what, because like I just said, there is no time to get tired. <laughs> it's just move forward, go forward. You want to sleep? You could sleep the last day. When's the last day? July 29th. July 30th is your day to sleep, you know, and that, that's really well, it's, it. Uh, it's interesting. Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, unfortunately passed away during COVID. Um, he, had an, he had a couple of things that he said that really help uh, people feel like they have meaning at work, obviously finding uh, their, their mission meaningful. Um, but one thing that he said was that they're a smaller part of a larger a larger organization. And um, when working here in Toronto, I always try to make uh, the staff understand how um, even yesterday we had a story where we had this one um, mom who was about to pass away and the case manager was working with the mom uh, and the dad and, and said, the dad was like, I don't know if, if she's actually going to pass. We might have, the doctors are saying we have a few weeks, we might have a few months. And the case manager knew, no, this is coming 
And she said, you know, you really have to get the kids to say goodbye while she's still lucid. And she pushed. And it was because she had this very special relationship with the family that she was able to push and get those kids uh, an opportunity to meet their mom while she was still lucid. And unfortunately, she died the next day. But they had that. They'll always have those memories. And she said this story in a staff meeting. And I, and I shared with the entire staff, I said, you know, you might be answering the phones and you might be taking a donation and you might be, uh, you know, the person arranging volunteers, but every one of you had a hand in the relationship that this case manager had with that mother. And because of that relationship, she was able to push and get those kids to see their mother for, for one last time. And those kids will have that memory for the rest of their lives. And that was each and every one of you. And I think, um, you know, I could point to that story as something that, you know, is the case. But I have no doubt that both of you have probably thousands of stories like that, where it's just so impactful and it comes together. And, um, you know, I, I want to talk to you about your creative process. But now that we're here, I also want to ask you if, if either, either of you have, I'm sure you have lots of very special um, I mean, every child that comes to Camp Simple is special, but is there something that stands out for you as, as kind of a more something that, that really affected you personally, um, that a story that you would consider sharing uh, and that through your involvement as a, as a head counselor? Um, and, you know, if you're not comfortable sharing, that's, that's fine too, but, but just something that um, really changed you as a person. And, um, you know, I'm not asking you for your favorite one or your most special one. I'm asking for the one that um, you were like, wow. And let Rifki go first. Oh, thanks, Ari. Um, there are two stories that I could think of. One was one year I was in camp. This is going back many, many years. And um, I, I was, I don't know, I was dancing and I twisted my ankle and I ended up on crutches for a day or two, thank God. And to be going back into Camp Simcha Special at that point, they told me, you're going to need to be on crutches for like two, three days, Rifki. And I'm like, okay. And I, to go into the environment where crutches are typical, crutches are normal. And, you know, the word crutch and what, and I walked out, of course, with confidence. And a few of the campers saw me. And then this one girl, Hani, from Tzvat, Aleha HaShalom, um, saw me. And she said to me, Rifki, Maka! And I said, Hani, Mamash, Yadati, Shadakara, Yadati, Shad, you know, I knew, I told her when this happened, I was thinking about you because I knew it was going to bother her of all people. Why? She had this extra sensitive way about her. And she just couldn't get to herself. They, she, the next two days, all I saw in her was like this extreme like heaviness on her shoulders. And every time I saw her, I said, honey, honey. And after, <clears throat> finally, maybe a day and a half, and after about a day and a half, she said to me, she said, I said all of the, the psalms, all the, the talim that I could have ever said. And I said, Hani, I'm going to be okay. Look around us. You want to say, tell them, say it for all of the kids around us. Hani carried that little burden of mine as if it was her own. To the point that her counselor told me um, when she passed away a bit later, she said to me, Rifki, she said to herself at one, at one point, if I could take away Rifki's pain, Hashem, let me take it away. And I said, oh my gosh, like to think that there's a camper that, and that really, um, like you said, does it change you? It really holds me so much. I think I carry her with me all the time. I talk about her every single year in camp. Um, and well, to think what she was going through on her own, that she passed away that much, that, that, you know, and, and, all she could think about was someone else's pain, I think speaks to, you know, the human condition. It speaks to what incredible people and warriors we have at Camp Simcha. Unbelievable. And the actions that she took, she went, she wasn't just going to sit by, she took action. She's going to go pray. She's going to go daven. She's going to go. And, and I think that that, you know, describes so many of our kids there. And the other small one, if I may, is um, a little girl, Sophie. And Sophie was not well at all. 
and um, Sophie wanted to come to Camp Simcha really, really badly. And I had heard it March, April, her parents had told us. And as things were getting closer to camp, Sophie was really, really doing poorly um, medically. And we decided not to send an application. We're not going to send an application. It's a little bit sensitive. And about a month before camp, her mom called up Rifki, could you send an application? And I said, yeah, of course. And we sent out the application. Mom filled it out. And her mother kept telling me before camp, Sophie's living for camp, Rifki. She's just living for camp. And Sophie came up to camp. and. Sophie was very, very, very weak. And Sophie's counselors were beyond dedicated to her. All that she wanted to do, she didn't do every single thing that everybody else in camp was necessarily doing, but she did her own things and she was on her own time and agenda and schedule. And Sophie's time there was absolutely amazing. She was extremely weak. She was extremely ill. And Sophie went home and that day, the next day, she went home in the evening or whatever that day she passed away. And her mom had said to me, her, both of her parents, that she really lived for Kam Samkha. Why this story, I mean, I don't have to explain why it touches me so much, but I still till today thank her parents for sharing her with us those last two weeks of her life. But the dedication of parents to center where they knew she was happiest, where they knew that she was getting the most. And there's a garden, there's a beautiful garden now in Camp Simcha, it's called Sophie's Garden. And it's colorful and she loved sprinkled and she loved tutus and she loved princesses. And there's, I smile as I talk about her because that's what she was. And she was her happiest self in Camp Simcha. And for her parents to know that and to send her and allow her to spend those days and those weeks with us before she passed on will forever be etched in my heart. That's, uh, I have goosebumps. That's, that's uh, for, for you to even look at it from the perspective of the parents and to say like, this is the parents who gave up those few weeks for their daughter and they gave her to you, I, I think is so, is so telling. And um, that's that's truly truly a, a heartwarming, heart touching story. Uh, Ari, would you uh, share something with us? That... I never like to answer that question. Everyone always asks me for a story, and I don't. I don't have. I'm not asking you for a story that's meaningful to me. I, I want to know the something that just touched you as as head counselor. I know, like as a director at High Lifeline, <laughs> I know a video is good when it actually touches me because. Unfortunately, over time, you start to get a little desensitized to these things. And, um, you know, I'm just curious for you, what, what, what would that be? How did that, what impacts you? It's, there's no specific story. I mean, I think when I first got there, there were some stories that definitely changed how I view things, things that I would take for granted. Again, first time in Kem Simcha. A long time ago, probably in the 1800s, but I was uh, playing basketball with two, two on two, and here I am coming from Camp Manavu, okay, <laughs> where uh, you know adversity is maybe I don't know, not judging this, but behavior medicine, but like there, this is a uh, I'm playing basketball my first time, and then I look down and I see that two of the people that I'm playing basketball with are amputees and have you know prosthetic legs you know for me that was you know thank god i was living a sheltered life but this was a big boom in my face there were four people with six legs i hope i did the math right but that was um the new norm of what i was being exposed to so that just changed i think everything for me so a number one i think from that point on, I don't think I took things for granted. And I think that was also what propelled me to like be a leader in that kind of way also to make sure that no one takes things for granted. And number two, just the overall um, openness and of, of kids with adversity that are able to just be kids and to relate to each other 
despite what they look like or despite what they're going through or because of what they're going through, the camaraderie, the camaraderie of, you know, uh, two paraplegics having a down-to-earth conversation, humorous conversation about themselves, making fun of themselves, making fun of their disability is amazing. When most of us would be exposed to somebody who we think is physically very impaired and very limited, we probably wouldn't feel comfortable in those kinds of jokes, making those kinds of jokes. And we would probably, for the most part, walk on eggshells and not know what the right thing to say is. And then when all of a sudden you see that there is no right thing to say and people are just human beings and they, some of them could make fun of their disposition or could talk about it very freely, that's something that's very um, amazing. So that, when I say I don't have a story, I just feel like that happens all the time. Well, and I think that attitude is 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 interesting. That you know, you're taking kids out of the. <laughs> so often they have to be so serious, and you're able to put them all together and just joke around like every other kid. Like I, you know, I would when I was growing up making fun of, you know, the guys in my bunk about you know the the weird way they made their bed or something. And this is, um, you know, this is just taking that to a different level. And I think that that's uh, that's incredible. Uh, I, yeah, go ahead. Good, Brian. I was going to say, I want to take it a little bit different direction. Um, so we have our own camp and everything. We have a couple of camps up here, Camp Lifeline Away, uh, that we hold up in Muskoka, and then we have our day camp and everything. How, again, so you guys, I hear this from everybody. Rifki mentioned at the very beginning, the minute people come into camp, there's this connection, there's this emotion going on. Where is that coming from? Where does that start? How does it, where does it illuminate from? All right, I'll go first this time. Is that what you want, Rifki? <laughs> as long as you have her permission. <laughs> um, I think you spot you a lot has been spoken about the uh, welcome, the arrivals, Kim Simpson. I think that's the tone. The reason why it's the tone is what what's really cool about that day, besides all the other fun things that everybody likes to experience, is there is a certain sense. For a child coming to a camp like Hemsimra that says, well, all, all this was created for me. This is all done for me. And now, like, you know, that sounds amazing, but put that together with a child was selected to have a physical illness. And then all of a sudden now there's we're countering that thought. We're saying, you're selected to have an incredible camp created just for you. I don't know if it goes so deep or anyone's able to like articulate that, but that feeling where a child gets the first second, I think carries him through the entire summer and more. And I think that initial initial world being, feeling of a world being created for one particular individual is so empowering, is very incredible and magical. Yeah, I think that that's 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 really interesting in the fact that people they you know they feel like oh maybe I had this bad luck like I had this this horrible situation where I was given you know unfortunately I, I've been stricken with a horrible disease or illness Hashem and they don't know how you know they feel like oh well I you know I must be so down on on things and then they come to camp and they're like oh my goodness it's not the case at all like I'm actually getting all of these you know I I've actually had it happen where um we've had siblings come to high lifeline and one sibling had cancer and one didn't and the sibling says so when's it my turn to get cancer because I want to go to camp it's like you know it it, it as sad as that is, or, or you know, I think that tells us that we're doing a great job, and um, and and you know, obviously, no nobody should have cancer. But um, if 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 a sibling is looking at their brother or sister, and they're like, "Well, when's it my when's it my turn?" I think that that we're doing we're doing what we're supposed to be doing to help these children. Here's a messed up story that you may want to edit out afterwards, or maybe not save it for the archives. But I once had a person who applied came to talk to me and said they would like to be a camper at Kim Simcha and actually made up a story that they had cancer. Wow. I'm not sure if this fits into what you're saying. No, but, it, but, but, I, you know, I, 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 
you know, it's something that we, well, we've come across um, Munchausen's in, in Toronto and it's, it's, it's a real thing. People will. Uh, How about anything to get some money or some kind of help? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rifki, do you have any thoughts on, on, on Brian's question? Um, yeah, but I'm going to take it to a different angle if I can. Absolutely. Uh, that is like, I'm going to take it to one of the more meaningful moments to me that will maybe describe it. Meaning what? When we have a bonfire, a bonfire always brings up some sort of, you know, camp bonfire, campfire, and the kids get up to speak and it's open mic. And you have the kid exactly like you just said, who says, I am so grateful that I got cancer only because I got cancer. And that, that excitement, that fun, where is it from? I think somehow, somewhere deep rooted, it's from all every single one of those campers. Their 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 souls ignite. They 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 are shining. They and like I don't remember who mentioned it earlier, but how much we want to be able to give that passion Ari talked about. And I I think that that comes from everybody just being there for the right reasons and everybody wanting to be able to give them, like, like Ari said, to show them that they're the most important. I think those little details of the surrounding and the head staff, when they walk in, I mean, we have two with a group, but two people who head, three people who head um, those decorations that you see in Camp Simcha. And um, the creativity and the efforts and the time and the energy and the extreme talent to watch some of them go. This year, there was a huge clock tower that was created from the guy who was in Camp Simcha, who is now married and came back with his wife, the Shabbos before, to actually cut all of that wood and put together this clock tower to the girl, Michal, who sat overnight and painted, etc. to the people who came up with it, you know, Rifka Naviva and those ideas and, and Shady and, and like the, the imagination and the creativity and the efforts of every detail going into, let's make this magical, putting up the stage, bringing in the props, getting every single one of the staff members excited by dressing up. I could be the person who's not a typical, you know, excitable, fun, I'm not the loudest person, and I'll get into it. I'll put on, meaning not me, I'm saying this could be one of the staff members because I am that excitable and whatever. Mm-hmm. You, you have, I interview girls who are not that, and they say somehow they can get in there and they could be that person who they weren't or they didn't think that they were because everyone else around them is. And because everyone else is is doing that, it kind of brings them up. And it's interesting because people will say to me all the time, what type of people are you looking for in Camp Simcha? Like, what are you looking for when you do an interview? What, are you, what type of person? And I tell them every single type of person. We have the loud camper and we have the quieter camper so we try to match them up also similar so you're not going to take the loudest staff member and i guess back to the structure you're not going to take the loudest staff member and put them in the in the position of being the more quiet or the kid who likes to read counselor and the counselor who can relate to them is really i think so much of what goes into it to be able to create that for the kids that want it and the kids, the Mayas of the world who end up being center stage and dancing it's, and bringing uh, out her greatest you know, talents. It's something that, um, and I think that so I'm also, like I, I said before, I sometimes I don't come across, but I'm a very much a type A personality. center stage <laughs> and that the and entire camp I, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've watched the gym at 3 a.m. with a suit in the back and ready to go. <laughs> what they can do is what brings and, the magic. Over the years, though, I've, I've had to learn, um, you know, every, every value. And, and there's the, you know, the, there's the introvert um, that has a lot to teach us. And I think... Um, what was that? Looking at your staff in a way that is what's most beneficial to the campers. Um, and seeing that we're not only going to have the rah-rah 
craziness of Camp Simcha, but we're also going to need some of the introverted people who can um, help bring out some of the great, great things in these kids, I think is, uh, is very, is very, uh, very special. And it's another aspect. And honestly, I could probably go on for another couple hours because I feel like we didn't even get to the creative part that I wanted to talk about. We didn't get to, there's so many other, <laughs> there are so many other things. Maybe we will do a part two. That is uh, that is a possibility. If you guys will give us your time, I, I know how busy you are. Um, Loving the music, by the way, whose that's going on. <laughs> Sorry. That's my, uh, my ringtone <laughs> under pressure. Um, but, but uh, no, we do really, really appreciate both your times. You guys, both of you are the, create the R2, magic that is R2. Camp Simcha and Camp Simcha is the magic that makes Chai Lifeline and uh, you know thank you for everything that you do and I, I I don't know that I ever get to say it but I'm always in awe of everything that happens at camp and now that we're um, Chai Lifeline is doing um, Simcha Without Borders and taking that magic and bringing it to the community um, it's just the next level and the next stage of Camp Simcha so thank you. Are we on your list of like think people that you have to be grateful to? Uh, that you wanted to, to express thank you. Unfortunately, I don't come in contact with both of you. Uh, you're not okay. in the top 25. I think my life would certainly be better if you if you were, but I, I don't know that you have the time for me um, out there yeah, in Omaha being a rabbi yeah. and refused, as busy as you are, I know. So, um, but I do say thank you. Thank you very much. You guys are, uh, you do an incredible job. And um, I know we in Toronto are always trying to emulate what would they do in Camp Simcha? What would they do in Camp Simcha? And really what that question is, is like, what would Ari and Rifki do? Because that's Camp Simcha. So, it's nice to have the faces of the two people who created the most in-demand program for High Life Flying in front of me. So it's an honor to speak with you guys. It's been amazing hearing your stories and everything you guys had to share with us. And definitely let's get part two going because yeah, we have a lot more to talk about. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Honored to be here. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Ari and Rifki, for taking time out of your busy schedule and day to spend an hour with us. Uh, with your love and affection for Camp Simcha and Camp Simcha Special, it's no wonder it's such a magical place. You're in the incredible stories from Chai Lifeline families of how camp was introduced to them and the experience they shared with us. It only makes sense that there's such a high demand to be a counselor at Camp Simcha and Camp Simcha Special. People should know, though, the counselors don't get paid there. It is 100% volunteer. But don't get it wrong they are turning people away because of how many people apply to be there. Thank you again, Ari Rifki, and thank you to the listeners. I hope you enjoyed learning about what makes Chai Lifeline Camps so magical. Until next time. On Air with Chai is a Chai Lifeline Canada project, produced by myself, Brian Strasberg, hosted by myself and the executive director of Chai Lifeline Canada, Mordechai Rothman. Guests are booked by Orly Davis, and graphic design is done by Candace Alper. On Air with Chai is edited by myself, and the music is provided by Music Unlimited at pixabay.com. To learn more about High Lifeline and how you can help us, please visit our website at highlifelinecanada.org. Don't forget to subscribe and give us that five-star rating, and of course, share it with all your friends.